0: Scripture reading this morning comes from Mark 12:28 through 34. And this is a very important scripture here, because as you listen to it, you'll find out the most important commandment in the entire Bible, Jesus explains it. Very interesting. One of the teachers of the law came and heard him debating. Nothing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus answered, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind the second is love your neighbor as yourself there is no commandment greater than these two well said the teacher the man replied you are right in saying that god is one is one and there is no other but him To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions.
1: We're starting a series we call With God We Live. You know we have this slogan around here, we live with God. And the point of that slogan is to point out that uh, we don't live for God, we're not trying to get God's respect, but because of Christ we live with God, God with us. And so we walk in fellowship with God, and walking in fellowship with God we have a changed life. I have a fancy camera, a couple of fancy cameras and those cameras come with a manual. You've seen manuals like this. You might have a computer that has a manual and it's as big as this, you know, it's this big manual. Or maybe you have some software that you use and it comes with a manual. Nowadays, of course, they don't send you the book. They send you a PDF file and you open the PDF file and it's like 600 pages. And You think, how am I ever going to use this software? But, all these technical companies have figured this out. Right? Because the first page, or sometimes it's a whole separate thing. Sometimes it's a little pamphlet. It looks about the size of this. It's called a Quick Start Guide. And it tells you all you need to know to start using whatever it is. And sometimes it tells you where to find stuff if you need to know more. So what we're going to do for the next, I think it's eight weeks, is we're going to have this series called With God We Live. And you'll notice the subtitle if you look at the sermon page, the sermon notes page in your bulletin, and this is the outline for today's sermon. I don't know if you know this, but every Sunday in the bulletin, we print the outline of the sermon on that panel in your bulletin. We don't do this just because we enjoy printing stuff. It's so you can look at it and then make notes, whatever. And you'll notice this course has a subtitle, With God We Live, Quick Start Guide to the Christian Life at International Bible Church and that's our goal in this course is to give you a quick start guide to the Christian life. Now some of you have been Christians I know forever and you don't think you need the quick start guide but I've been thinking about this working on this now for a few weeks and we all need the quick start guide. We all need to remember the outline of the Christian life and especially as we live it here in this church. You know, the Christian life is lived in lots of different churches, but the Christian life is lived in a church, always. If you're not in a church, you're not really living the Christian life because one major part of the Christian life is the fact that it's something we do together as a group. The very life itself is found in the church. The spirit indwells each of us, and it dwells the group of us. And so we uh, live together the Christian life. Well, that's a big part of this. And the question is, how do we do it here? Now, we have a goal in this uh, course, and that is that we will learn together how to live the Christian life together and by experiencing the transforming grace of God in Christ by the Spirit. You are going to hear You've already heard me say this little expression a lot. A lot. I say it all the time, and I almost never explain what, I, what it is. In Christ, by the Spirit, We experience the grace of the Father in Christ and by the Spirit. We experience the transformation, the spiritual transformation of our lives in Christ and by the Spirit. And we're going to see how this rolls out in someone's life. Now, this is how it has rolled out in your life, whether you notice these things or not. But I find it helpful to notice these things. We experience that transforming grace of God in the Spirit, in Christ, and by the Spirit, first in our beliefs on the inside, our deeply held convictions, our core belief, the thing we really trust, the things we really trust, or the one we really trust. It's a heart issue. And then, as our beliefs are changed, as we trust this when we used to trust that, but now we trust this. I used to trust myself, but now I trust Christ. I used to believe all kinds of things, now I believe the Word of God. As those things, as my beliefs change, as the things I trust change, you know, something else begins to change. That's my values and I notice that if I believe this, then that matters. Well, I used to think that mattered, but now, because I believe this, that matters. I want this, instead of that, because my heart has changed, my values change. And when my values change, then my purpose in life changes. My mission, our mission. And so we see a transformation of what, why am I on this world to do what, to accomplish what goal, what purpose? So I have a mission, so I have a belief that changes my values, that changes my mission. That Oh, and if I have a different mission, I do different things, don't I? I used to do that, but now I do this because now I have a certain mission and I used to have no mission or a different mission. So now, things have changed. Where did the change start? Inside, inside, in where, what are my deeply held beliefs? And then, <clears throat> I change what I do because I have a different mission. And then, if we're talking about the church, we're going to talk about what I call the organics, which means how do we coordinate all this activity. You know, I've been talking for a long time about our joyful service in the church. And, of course, you can joyfully serve in the church in very simple ways, just by showing up, for example just by smiling at somebody who looks like they need a smile. Uh, You can serve a lot of ways, but some ways we got to get organized, you know. Like we're building this building out here, that requires a lot of organization. It requires various resources. One of the things that's going to happen once we get the roof on is the work that's going on after that, Uh, Bob said, we might expect to spend more than that fundraising goal I think we also might expect to spend a lot less because a lot of that work is work we could do. and If we do it for free, then we don't need as much money. It's a joyful service. I don't want you to do it if you're not happy to do it. If you can think of something else better to do with your time, for heaven's sakes, do that. Uh, Why do we serve? Why do we need to organize this? Well, because we have a mission. Where does that mission come from? It comes from a certain set of values. Where do those values come from? They come from the gospel, the thing we believe at the very heart of everything, the one we trust. So today, we wanted to sort of preview all this. And there's kind of an outline of this. How does a person experience the transformation of the grace of God? There's a scripture. I don't know if I'm plugged in. Oh, I know. I'll turn this on. How does a person grow in his or her expression of the righteousness of Christ? That's the question. And uh, all right, somebody back there has got to hit the button, I guess. Oh, here we go. There's a scripture. Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose or show myself to him. And I wanted to make a little chart of this verse. So I have his and keep his commandments, and that he who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. And then uh, the Father will love me. He who loves me, my Father will love him. And uh, Jesus says, I will love him. And I will reveal myself to him, show myself to him. So this is my chart of the verse. How do you like it?
0: Hmm. (laughs) Hmm.
1: That puts the emphasis on that, does it not? Hmm. Interesting. In other words, in this little diagram of this verse, everything God does depends on something I do. Isn't that interesting? That doesn't sound like something I would say. I wonder if that's right. Well, just a couple verses down in that same chapter, in John chapter 14, we read this verse, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. This says pretty much the same thing except it puts something in order that the other verse didn't have in order yet. And that is that the love, well, precedes the keeping of the word. So maybe we need to revise our chart. I don't know why we went backwards. We're still (laughs) going. That's because I have no idea what this is pointing at on that screen back there. Ah, here we go. So that isn't right. That is right. He said, whoever loves me will, because of that love, keep his commandments. It's like a way of identifying the people who love Jesus. They're the ones who have and keep his commandments. So now we've redrawn our chart to look like this. Hmm. So where's the emphasis now? On I love Christ. Now, when I drew the chart, I love Christ, I have his commandments, that's not what it said exactly. It didn't say, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, the Father will love. It says, whoever loves me, the Father will love. So this is actually better. And he says, not only will the Father love him, I'll love him. So whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one that identifies somebody who loves me. And the one who loves me that person will be loved by the Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. So, here, still, everything begins with me loving Christ. If I love Christ, then I'll get a hold of his commandments, and I'll keep his commandments. And... God will respond to my love by loving me, and so will God the Son, the Lord Jesus. And in that love, he will manifest himself to me. He'll show himself to me. I'll be able to see Christ more clearly. Well, that would be good, and this all starts with me loving Christ. Hmm. What's wrong with this picture? It starts with me. If we looked at any one of these texts of Scripture, we would see, especially at 1 John 4.19, you know this verse, right? 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he loved first. So while Jesus didn't say anything about where all this starts, where does it all start? With God's love for me. In Romans 5.8, we read God's demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, we didn't love God. We didn't care, we could care less about God. We would prefer to ignore the reality that there even is a God. While we were in that condition, God demonstrated his love for us in sending his son in that Christ died for us. So where's the beginning point here. I think it's with the Father's love for me. It's with the Father's love for me, revealed in Christ's love for me. Oh, and Christ didn't just love me from up there in heaven. He wasn't just going, I love you, I hope you find out someday. No, he showed up. He demonstrated his love in Christ the incarnation of the eternal Son of God as one of us, who then gave his life, his righteous life, a sacrifice for sin, right here in person. He revealed himself to us. And it's only because of those things that we love Christ. And it's only because we love Christ that we have care at all about what he what his commandments are and that we might do them. All of this is generated from the Father's love in the first place. But it does go around and around because Jesus did say when I love him, he loves me back. His love is a responsive love, a personal relationship. So when I love God, I exhibit that in various ways in obedience to the word of God. I trust God. And if I trust God and God says this, then I believe it. I trust in his son. And God responds to that. And it says that, The Father and the Son together will come and make their home with me. Well, this is the thing I call the upward spiral. The Father loves me. Christ loves me. Christ reveals himself to me. I see that. I trust it. I love him. He loves me. The whole thing goes around and around. Now, I keep saying, in Christ and by the Spirit. So far, I don't see the Spirit anywhere on this. But it's in that, it's in that Christ reveals Himself to me. It's in that. It's also in Christ will love me. Romans 5.5 says, the love of God, the Spirit, pours out into our hearts. Christ shows it, the Spirit pours it out into our hearts. The Spirit is the one who enables me to see Christ. You see, the Scripture says that apart from Christ, apart from faith, apart from the work of the Spirit in our hearts, we are blind to this. And it's the Spirit of God that unveils Christ to us. It's the Spirit of God that imparts faith by grace you've been saved. By grace you've been saved through faith and that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's the Spirit who brings you that gift, who enables you to experience the conviction of the truth of the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who enables you to see Who Jesus actually is enables you to see the love that is demonstrated on the cross of Christ. You know, not everyone sees that. How did you see it? The Spirit worked in your heart, that's how. And so the Spirit is all over this. The Spirit also motivates my love for Christ, the Spirit also empowers my obedience to the commandments. I walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5 says, so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Spirit's all over this every step of the way. And this is all empowered by God, not me. It's kind of important to notice that. It's empowered by God, not me. We started with this question, how does a person grow in his or her expression of the righteousness of Christ? And I'd like to propose to you that that is the wrong question to start with. I'd like to sort of rephrase it a little bit. How does a person grow in his or her experience and comprehension of the love of Christ? Because it's when I comprehend the love of Christ that I am moved to love Christ, starts here. It doesn't start with me trying to do what's right. We've all tried that, am I right? Are you as tired of that as I am? Just try, just try, just try, just try. And we could just go and read the Bible in Romans chapter 7 and see how that's going to work. It's not going to work. We keep trying and it never works. I keep saying, Lord, I want to do well enough that you'll respect what I'm doing. And yet the scripture says, I don't want, Paul writes in in Philippians chapter 3, I don't want to have a righteousness of my own. But that righteousness which is from Christ, by faith, He says, the thing I really prize, prize, prize above everything else, above all my striving to do righteous things and get God's approval, above all that, the thing I prize, I throw that into the trash bin in order to know Christ. It's about a fellowship. That's what this is about, a fellowship. God loves me, I love him. God loves me, I love him. God loves me. I love him. And the spin-off of that is a transformation. A transformation of belief that leads to a transformation of values. What do I want? What do I think is worth something? What do I think is important? What do I think matters? My values are changed. But not before my beliefs are changed. My values are changed, then my mission is changed, then my activity is changed, and then my, our coordination is changed. And that's our basic outline for this whole little course or about this quick start guide. And uh, so I want to sort of talk about some of the, uh, well, processes that we're going to do. <laughs> First of all, beginning today in the Sunday school time, which is after the coffee time. So, maybe you're new here and I need to say this to you. After every worship service, we have a fellowship time, we have coffee, we have juice, we have some cookies or something out there, and we just hang out for a few minutes, well, typically about a half hour. (laughs) And then after that, we're going to have a Sunday school time today, starting today. And the Sunday school time is going to be a discussion of the message. So I hope you are paying attention during all this talking I've been doing because otherwise we won't have much of a discussion. But you're invited to stay and we'll just say it's a pretty free-flowing discussion that we're going to have. And we're going to do this every Sunday during this uh, With God We Live course. So I just want to point out to you this Uh, flyer that we tucked into your bulletin. Because what this is, is like a little preview of next week. And every week you're going to have one of these that's a preview for the following week. And on the back there's an actual next week's outline. We're going to talk about all this stuff next time. And you can see on the front right here you can see we're in the belief part, and next time, we're going to talk about the truth. We're going to start talking about belief. What, are the tru- what is the truth that matters most? And really, we're just going to talk about what it is we believe here in this church. And the very first thing is about God. Our God is the eternal fellowship of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. We're going to talk about what we believe about God, but this is a quick start guide. This is not the whole manual. Here's the whole manual. This is the quick start guide. So you'll notice, I hope everyone's looking at this right now, because you'll notice when it says one God is the eternal fellowship, the eternal fellowship is underlined. And if you went on down, you'd see the Father is the source and authority of the Godhead. And that, that's underlined, the source and authority. Because uh, these are what we're calling hyperlinks. In other words, that's something you might need explained in more detail. And if you go on down the page, you'll see a bunch of this kind of stuff. Like this one, the Holy Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. What? So this is like the basic statement. stuff. This is the way you have to say it because this is the right way to say it. But when we say it the right way, you don't necessarily know what it means. So it could be when you read this, you're going to circle that and go, well, we better talk about that. Now, when you come to church next Sunday, I might just explain it, and then you don't need to discuss it. Or maybe I won't, because we don't have time during the sermon. I mean, I went to seminary for three, four years, and, you know, that's what we did the whole time, Let's figure out what that means. What does it mean that God is an eternal fellowship? That's, man, I so we might need to talk about it. So that's, that's the idea is you could look at this and you could get a little bit of idea of what it is you want to talk about when, it get to the, when we get to the discussion or what it is you might want to listen for during the message. Like I hope he explains that. So you'll see we're on the belief section. We're going to talk about the truth that matters most. That's what we mean by belief. What is, it, what is the truth we want to get into our hearts? And the first lesson is God and man. And you can see, sorry, I'm going to ask you to go back to this one now. You can see we've got the outline. We've got a preview, we've got a teaching, and we've got a discussion. Now, the discussion could involve a lot of things. It could involve issues you have. Maybe you hear me say something, you go, "Uh, I don't know about that. Maybe you've got an issue. Or you've got, maybe there's some skills involved. You know, when we talk about the Bible, we're going to talk about what the Bible is. Well, we also need to talk about how do I use it. You might have noticed, I certainly have, that different people understand the Bible in different ways. How do you go about dealing with the Bible so that you get it right? How do we maximize our odds of getting it right? When I read it or study it, how do you study it? How do you read it? Where, if you're going to read the Bible, where should you start? These are all like skill questions. How to do, how to, how to, how to. Or when we talk about praying, do you know how to pray? Do you know the disciples asked Jesus one day how to pray? He said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. You know what a lot of us do when Jesus said that? We just say that. Figure, okay, we'll just say that. Well, is that what he meant? How do you pray? Is there a method? Is there a way? (laughs) Well, if you've been around here for any time at all, you've heard me say it doesn't matter. Does it not matter? Is that right? It doesn't matter how you pray. The point is that you're praying. It doesn't even matter what you pray for. The point is that you're praying. That's what I say. Why do I say that? Well, This is what we might discuss. You can see there's there's issues, there's skills, there's struggles. Maybe, you know, you see that, but you can't quite get yourself there. How do we... We'll talk about it and so on. What are the implications of this or that truth? So, you'll notice on this uh, discussion guide for next week, here's a question, how does the fact or the idea that God is an eternal fellowship, matter in our daily lives. How does the reality of the Trinity matter tomorrow morning? Does it? If so, how? What are the implications of that teaching? Hmm. Well, we can talk about it. Uh, Or the applications, or maybe there's a... Question of understanding or a question of relation. How does the fact that we're sinners relate to marriage? I don't know. I just made that up right now off the top of my head. How does it? How does this relate to that? We said this about that. How does that relate to this over here that we also said? We say we live with God. In worship, that's in our statement of values. We live with God in worship. We also say we live with God in fellowship. How do those two things relate to each other? Those are lots of the questions you might have for the discussion. I'm just trying to give you the idea. So this morning, we just wanted to introduce all of this. We wanted to say uh, this is uh, a quick start guide of How do we live the Christian life? How do we experience the transformational grace of God together as a church? We have for a long time had the slogan, we live with God. And you might notice we turned that inside out. With God, we live. Uh, The first way of saying it, we live with God, is about adopting a lifestyle. It's about how, how I do. How do I go about my life? I want to go about my life with God. The second is, how do I have a life to begin with? With God, we live. Without God, we are dead. It's about what's the source. And what we're trying to figure out together in the church is how do we tap the source? Now, the message is simple. It's in the gospel. We tap the source by the death of Christ, by the sacrifice of Christ, by the reconciliation that he makes through his death and resurrection how do I experience the love of Christ? That was the question, right? How does a person grow in his or her experience and comprehension of the love of Christ? And I just want to read from Romans 8. And as we come to the table today, I want us to think, how do we experience the love of Christ? How do we know it, see it, live in it, dwell in it? How do we realize that thing where he says God the Father and God the Son will make their home with us? Is that experience available to us here now? I think so. It's fully realized in the coming kingdom though when Heaven comes down and God lives with his people and among his people. Then we see Christ face to face and we, know, we see him as he is and we become like him. That's the finished job then. But even now, how do we know and experience the love of Christ? Well, here's what Romans 5 says. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out She's here that has been part, has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How does a person grow in his or her experience and comprehension of the love of Christ? Attention to the cross. That's the answer. God demonstrates his love in that Christ died for us while we were still his enemies attention to the cross. In Hebrews, it keeps on saying, pay attention to Jesus Christ. And also, here in this book, here in this paragraph, it says, it's the Spirit that takes us there. You know, do you have this experience? I go about in life, I'm a pastor, you know, I'm supposed to be in the Jesus business all the time, right? But during the day, during the week, I lose attention. I stop paying attention. Who leads me to Christ? The Spirit. The Spirit. I'm always like, wow, what is that? And the Spirit is always like, "Uh, Uh, over here. Over here. Over here. Mm -hmm. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus said this. The Spirit will take what is mine and give it to you. The Spirit will focus your attention like a laser beam on the person of Jesus Christ. That is why we say, in Christ by the Spirit. All that whole upward spiral thing is all in Christ and by the Spirit. Always, always, always. You're not particularly interested in Jesus except the Spirit gets a hold of you. So, every day, every day, we walk in the Spirit. In the Spirit. In the Spirit. And when we come to the table, It's an occasion for the Spirit of God to remind us of the cross of Christ. It's as simple as that. You know, like in Romans 12 when it says, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's worship. Here we are to view God's mercy. Every week we gather together to view God's mercy, to remember the cross, to put our gaze back on Christ, and so to be transformed. Now, coming to the communion table doesn't save anyone. I mean, it's like with a physical action. But coming to the communion table is the occasion for remembrance. Now, if you're here this morning, and you don't know Christ, this is really meaningless to you. There's no reason to partake. But if you come to the table, and you come and you say, Christ is my only answer. This is for you. It's a way of repeating that very thing. I take him, I take him, I take him. I abandon everything else, and I take him. I don't want the righteousness that is my own righteousness. I want the righteousness that is his righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. That's what we do here. That's what we do here every Sunday, and especially on communion days. That's what this table is for. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your grace in Christ We thank you for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that enables us to identify this grace, to see it, to trust it. Oh Lord, we praise your name for your great, amazing goodness toward us. Lord, I pray that your love would be more and more real in each of us and in all of us together someone might come into this fellowship and say, oh, they must be with Jesus. Look at how they love one another. Father, I pray that you would move your people to express this love, to, first of all, enjoy this love, that we might become a great demonstration of the very nature of God exhibits of your grace here in this community to each other and to the world around us. For these things we give you thanks. Amen.